Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cheese and pickle. This is Comfort Blanket and I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like about some warm stuff that they like. A book or a TV show or a film or a record that they go back to again and again for comfort. This time I'm talking to the actor Melanie Gutteridge. Mel's an actor who's been in loads of stuff. She was in The Bill for ages. She's recently been in The Salisbury Poisonings and in The Undeclared War. And she's a big video game fan. And I knew, because we're both fans of it, that she's a big fan of The Last of Us. So I thought we'd talk about that, particularly because The Last of Us has just gone to TV. And Mel is vastly experienced at making TV and also experienced at doing things like voiceover work and video game work. I thought it would be nice to talk about not only the comforts of the game and why the game is so good, but how it transferred to TV and how the acting challenges might be different between one and the other. So this is Mel talking about the video game, The Last of Us. Is this really all they had to worry about? Boys? Movies? Deciding which shirt goes with which skirt? It's bizarre. Get up. We're leaving. And if I say no... Do you even realize what your life means? Huh? Running off like that, putting yourself at risk? It's pretty goddamn stupid. Well, I guess we're both disappointed with each other then. talk about a massive cultural item that's currently sort of there's a buzz around it which is the program the last of us mm-hmm. but we're going to talk about it by talking about the game yeah. which is 10 years old this year yeah 2013 which makes it sort of part of part of the culture indeed and in fact the origin story of the culture yes exactly this is where it came from and it's it's a video game adaptation the tv thing which is a mm-hmm. big hit for hbo and there's sort of a cliche that when someone says they're going to make a video game into a film. Mm. The joke is it's going to be Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Or just awful. Yeah. Because <laughs> they always are. They're brothers. They're plumbers. <laughs> they're on the trail of a kidnapped princess. Well, hang on. Um, that might be true if it was a video game that, like Space Invaders or mm. Pac-Man. Yeah. But this is what video games have become. There's almost a prejudice against turning video games into into other forms of art based on what video games were 
maybe not even when we were kids. Yeah, I know. I, I know for for certain that things like Doom, yeah. uh, those kind of video games, which were awesome playthroughs, were just have just made dreadful, dreadful, <laughs> you know, movies and series. Well, the, the IP is worth it because mm. the, the brand recognition's massive. Because the thing about video games is they are they sell in numbers that films could only dream of. Yeah. They're worldwide, they're big brands. Yeah, and they're where the money is now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're big blockbusters of their own. And so there's sort of still a residual sort of feeling that games are sort of disgraceful newcomer and they're sort of upstart and whenever yeah. the discussion on the Today programme or whatever, it's almost as if people are playing this video game. Yeah, like it's culturally like dry and, it, you know, you can't learn anything from it or you can't you can't develop any skill sets by it. <laughs> it literally is just going to kill your brain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, yes, also all the moral panic around video games that yes. rock kids' brains. And the Adult content in Grand Theft Auto 5 begs the question, do you know what your kids are playing? Eric Fink has much more in tonight's big story. Forgetting the fact that video games have now been around for 40 odd years mm. and have come a huge distance. Yeah. Mortal Kombat, in which blobs of blood spurt from the victims and the winner tears off the head of a woman and dangles her spinal column. And the, probably the video game that certainly I played that I went, oh my God, these have now become as good as, the same as, films and box set television. Mm -hmm. The game that made me go, ah, was The Last of Us. Yeah. Don't scare it. I won't, I won't. first come across it did you play the game when it first came out i played it i think it was around the same time that you played it actually i don't know why but my attention had been drawn to it and i remember being uh, like in a pub or somewhere with you and saying that i was playing it and you're like that's what i'm doing yeah. so and we were like isn't it amazing so yeah I, i'm not even sure but it maybe it was zeitgeisty it was definitely a game that people were talking about and said this is just great mm. and the big difference was that it appeared to be Really well written. Yeah. You're a fairly regular gamer. You play video games. I, I've always really enjoyed video games. And they have to be quite particular ones. Uh, I can't just kind of sit down and play, you know, Mario Brothers or kind of <laughs> one of those kind of like <laughs> motor racing games. It's just like doing my head in completely. But I do like pottering around in, in an environment with a, with a quest. It has to be a quest. And, and kind of solving problems and finding things and stuff like that. And this one is, uh, you know the epitome of perfection when it comes to that sort of thing. What about you, kid? Are you okay? It's a fine okay. Are you still breathing? Do small panicked breaths count? Yeah, they count. Right. Then I'm okay. The pleasure of video games is really obvious in the sense that you're allowed to go to an alternate world and alternate mm -hmm. universe. Um, and sometimes the price you pay for that, I used to think, which is this brilliant world in which, which there will be this state-of-the-art game that just will blow your mind mm. and then every so often the game will stop and there'll be a cut scene that explains why you're going there yeah and you'll want to go and make a cup of tea or something because mm. it will just be boring yeah boring filler yeah i'm sorry this piece you say where's the rest miss natler put pierre dupont on that trail it was supposed to make the game more exciting and i always found it made the game slower yeah i remember playing metal gear solid which was one of the first like sort of stealth games right. and every time you killed someone it had this sort of strange Japanese storytelling technique where it would tell you the person's entire life story. You <laughs> killed him. He was my father. He had a sword. And you're like, oh, God. I'll, you, I'll, I'll walk out the room and maybe I'll go and get some biscuits. And you come back. Reorder my, my albums or something. Yeah, never since the day I killed the boss. 
come back on this sort of French Curacao movie would still be going on about how honour needs to be done. And you go, can I just go and hide and kill people? I like the sniper rifle bit. This mercenary business we built. Someday it's going to be a new driving force in the world economy. And I thought The Last of Us was the first game I'd ever played where the fill around it was as much fun as the game. Well, actually, what's more pertinent, I think, is that it's not just filler and it, and it, and it sort of suffuses the rest of the game as well. So as you're wandering around and interacting with your environment, it's not just like then it pauses and you see a cutscene. It always feels like you are dramatically involved in the process yeah. of what you're doing. Oh, shit. Tess, how are you holding up? Just a bit winded. Look this way. This will get us to the roof. And then occasionally there'll be like a, an important scene, but it's so beautifully rendered that, you know, it doesn't feel like that's the point at which you put your control down and do something else while they get it out of the way. Batteries drain, but cells are alive. Meaning? Meaning we push it, get it started, and the alternator will recharge the battery. Is that your guess? Look, you wanted a plan B as good as it gets. I suppose what you're talking about then is is just writing. Mm. It felt like an exercise in in writing. It felt like a new sort of writing. Mm. Um, maybe that's why it excited me so much as, as, as someone who writes and you as somebody who's given scripts. This feeling that it would have been organically designed so that the two disciplines, mm. the game playing bit and the storytelling bit, were suddenly hand in hand rather yeah. than sort of you were stopping one to do the other because yes. there's a there's a feeling of, I've turned this game on in order to play mm. and it would go and now I'm going to put on a play and he went no 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 don't put <laughs> yeah. on a play I wanted to play uh, whereas the last of us felt like the two impulses were the same you were just being told a story yeah and sometimes you got a joystick to control that story yeah and sometimes the story played out for you but I, d- I never felt I was pulled out of it no ever not ever and I think that's partly to do as well with the continuity of the world building and also the continuity potentially of the graphics which yeah. were not so different from the graphics that you got in the cutscenes whereas I think before you know you'd have angular Lara Croft with her big (laughs) boobs and her massive backside kind of running around and then suddenly you'd have like a quite a bit more of a sophisticated set of graphics telling you a part of the story and the two things did not seem to be connected at all as a long-term gamer you knew when it had shifted into let go of the joystick yeah and I remember as a kid the fantasy being when I played video games the fantasy was always one day there will be a film that I can play. That was always the aim. When they first did that Star Wars game in the arcades where you were on the Death Star Trench. Yes. And I went, oh, it's like I'm in my favourite film. Mm. And then when they made Dragon's Lair, the, the cartoon that you could twitch the joystick and jump left or jump right and it would act as another bit of the disc that would play the next bit of the cartoon. The fantasy was you were being allowed to play a Disney cartoon. Mm. So I remember as a kid, the promise was one day you'll be able to play a film. Mm. And I don't think I'd ever felt that until this game. Yeah. I felt I was watching a television programme that was as good as a box set. Mm in terms of the storytelling and the acting and the writing. And I could occasionally be given control of the characters. Mm. Uh, It's a bit like immersive theatre. It's a bit like going to see kind of Punch Drunk or something like that, you know, so you're actually in the environment and you you can interact with, you know, somebody will take you off into a separate room and have a chat with you or whatever it is. So you you are interacting, but you're also being performed for and you're also kind of following a through line. And The Last of Us feels very much like that to me. I think that's a really good point. I think because I'm reaching immediately for TV and film comparisons. And I think I said it to people, I said, it's the first game that felt like HBO had made it. Not just television. Mm. It was posh television. Yeah. <laughs> it was expensive television you pay for separately. Waitrose television. It felt really, really classy. <laughs> but I don't think, because I've not got a theatre background, I don't actually think in a theatre way. I hadn't noticed how much this is theatre. Mm. Because of the interactive thing, because it's happening live, yeah. you affect it and you're a witness to it. 
And then I saw a documentary. They showed you the making of it. Oh, yeah. And they showed you the people who were acting these these characters. And it was incredible because it was just like watching theatre. Mm. It was like watching these amazing actors who are dressed up in those costumes with the balls on. And they're in a white space. Mm. And they're acting out incredibly emotional scenes in an empty white space, dressed as the guys from Tron. Um, <laughs> and it looks like avant-garde theatre. It's like mm. Peter Brook. It's just... <laughs> and, and then they're afterwards, they're sort of... They do this pretty thing, which, which my kids spotted, which is they do a scene where they're cradling a dying child. And I go, no, don't leave me. Don't leave me. And they get cut. And they have to stand they're up. They have to do a T-pose. Do a T-pose. <laughs> and it's the funniest, weirdest thing. And it's literally, I'd say, an emotion... And switch the emotion off, and they have to stand up and do a T-pose, as you must have done. Yes, I have done done it. But you've done mocap work as well. So you're acting as if you're at the most powerful Mm theatre. And then they go, stop, and you stand up and put your arms out. Yeah, the day they work out a way for that not to happen. It's it's to calibrate the computer that's tracking your body. It is, yeah, that's what it it? is. Yeah, so that they can actually, you know, mirror the, the movements that you're doing. Yeah, the people who are doing the voice acting for this are also doing the physical acting. So it's matched perfectly. It's recorded mm. at the same time. So you're watching a piece of theatre, a piece of performance, mm. uh, but then the computer reenacts for you. And it's uh, as Troy Baker plays Joel and Ashley Johnson plays Ellie are the two big leads in it. Having the actors perform as well as being recorded at the same time was imperative to get an accurate performance. Because every time you, you split up the performance in any way, you lose some of that magic where they, they did a gesture or they delivered the line a certain way. And those things have to be in sync or there's just something subconscious that's like off-putting about the performance when you don't do it that way. This amazing set of performances. When you watch it separated from the game, you think, I am watching terrific theatre. Yeah. You know, increasingly, it, it certainly is. I, I, I remember doing cutscenes, you know, or seeing cutscenes when, you know, say, Lara Croft or whatever, you know. And there would be like, man with bottle that he is half drunk going, oh, ha, 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 I will kill you, like moving really weirdly and mechanically. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously now that, you know, technology has has kind of advanced to the extent that it has, it you know, it, the subtleties of performance can be transferred to the screen and so it, the demands of, um, of performance are, are becoming more and more naturalistic that's what made it spectacular this shift into it becoming a tv program which people are saying what great acting and thinking the weird thing is it's not that different troy baker who plays joel in the video game is currently presenting the podcast that hbo have put out to go with the the, the tv show with pedro pascal and uh, bella ramsey and he keeps talking about it's interesting what you did with him because you did a different performance than i did and you realize oh this entire story has already been acted mm-hmm. to an astonishing degree mm. by a bunch of great actors this is like watching the tv version is like watching a new production of a play yes it isn't like watching oh they finally got it right no, they already got it right, because that's why it was successful enough for this thing to exist in the first But this is a different kind of right. Doing this was a whole lot like being five, playing in the backyard with a stick, you know, and this is my machine gun, and, you know, and a pine cone is, is my hand grenade. It's all your imagination. And I think the, the, the theatre comparison is completely spot on. I mm. felt that when I went to Punch Drunk. I went, oh, my God, this is a video game. Yes. And again, I think... I think immersive theatre is video games for people who are ashamed of the idea of video games. They go to see the theatre version of yeah. the video game. Yeah, who think that, you know, it's very lowbrow to play a video <laughs> game, but it's incredibly highbrow to be in a video game yeah. <laughs> in a warehouse somewhere. Yeah. You know, and there is obviously a difference in between the two situations and you can't really go and make a cup of tea while Punch Drunk are doing their business. But it is <laughs> you don't really want to when you're playing The Last of Us either. You no. know, you get completely transported. What are you doing? Your wife kind of scares me. 
I don't want her coming after me. Sorry for stealing your horse. Well, come back to town. Let's discuss it at least. Yeah. You know me, my mind's all made up. University, Eastern Colorado. How do I find this lab? It's in the science building. Looks like a giant mirror. You can't miss it. Care of that wife here. There's a place for you here. You know. You good? I'm good. Adios, little brother. It's that much of a immersive theater that you're you're engaged in something that, that you can affect mm. that's actually happening. Yeah. It's very different from the passivity of watching. TV or film. Yeah. Because you've got theatrical background, you're an action. Did, did that make it feel sort of more alive and electric that you felt like you were, you're, you're helping devise a piece? Mm. I certainly think it was to do with the fact that I felt the emotions of the characters. I felt the um, emotive quality of the loss of everything, the barrenness of the environment and the threat of the, uh, the zombies. And it was all very, very close. It always felt very immediate. And that, to me, was the the comparison between yeah. being, you know, a punch drunk show as well. Because it is immersive. I mean, video They're games really. are immersive, and you don't want to sit back. I mean, you're not invited. To. You're invited to push the joystick and do things. Mm. You're invited to engage and to be alive and to be in the story. The place is right up ahead. And that but definitely is true of theatre, and it's definitely true of immersive theatre. Mm. And, and it isn't really true. TV. There's, no. there's, there's a catharsis in it. You, you lose yourself in a film, right? mm. you lose yourself in television. But you can tune in and tune out. You can look yeah. at your phone and things. In fact, I found that <laughs> as phones got more and more of a thing that were uh, an intrusion on your attention, I found when I was playing a video game, I kept thinking, should I be looking at my phone occasionally? Mm. Because that's what I do with television. Yeah, yeah. And then realizing, no, no, you don't, because something's going to jump out on you. And, yeah, and a game exactly. is very urgent. It's a form of fiction that you can't look at your phone during. No, no. Even though there are huge tranches of the game where you're literally just sort of meandering around. <laughs> Going into empty houses and looking in cupboards, you know, and trying to find bits of, you know, cogs that you can make weapons <laughs> with and stuff like that. But there's this perpetual atmosphere and the music, I think, is so yeah. extraordinary. everything and it's kind of gentle but it always has that kind of melancholy and that threat you know that seems like it might just be around the corner so you never feel like oh I can just sit down here and have a little yeah. rest in this this empty house because <laughs> 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 you just think at any minute something might happen to you And the fact that it doesn't is obviously really interesting because it's a choice that they made yeah. so that you have periods of time which are much more realistic where, you know, you don't have any measure of threat. There isn't anything, you know, that you're coming across. It is just the boredom and the, and the you know, the lostness yeah. and the frustration of being in a situation like that. And it lets you experience that. Oh, what yeah, Words all run. Did you go to coffee shops a lot? I did. All the time. And what 
would you get? Just, just coffee. We should probably talk about what the game's about. I mean, people, culturally, you must be aware, there is a thing on television called The Last of Us. It's been a big hit, and it's sort of about zombies. Yeah. It's a post-apocalyptic zombie thing. Mm. And that is basically what the game was. And are you a zombie fan? I'm not a zombie fan, but I'm, do you like The Walking Dead? And If I were given the choice, I'm quite a horror fanatic, but if I were given the choice, I certainly wouldn't pick a zombie thing. Yeah, and I'm not I did really... quite enjoy um, The Walking Dead for the first series or so, um, and I've read the graphic novels, or you know, at least the first one. But I think that's because it was starting to try and touch on the things that The Last of Us has ah. touched on and successfully managed to yeah. explore. When you're talking about these zombie apocalypse things, which is a whole fascinating subject we could probably talk about at a huge length, what they are, they are a metaphor. They're usually a simple question, which is, uh, what's holding us together? Mm-hmm. And what happens if what's holding us together falls apart? Mm. The great thing about The Last of Us is kind of, uh, it's, it's threads. It's literally, it should be a play for today. Mm. A really harrowing piece of polemic about how it's important that we all need to pull together and communal responsibility is really important. Yeah. One of the things I really like about The Last of Us, it has got a slightly left-wing politics hidden amongst what's usually a right-wing fantasy mm. of survivalism. Yes. Um, which I think keeps it away from the usual slightly dodgy thing of, wouldn't it be great if I had a gun and anyone who tried to take things away from me and my family, I could just shoot in there. Yeah, head. yeah. Well, here we are. You don't touch anything. And you close the door. Let's gear up. Uh-uh. I need a gun. No, you don't. I love that The Last of Us is less interested in that and more interested in what have we lost yes. if all our systems fall apart, which yeah. reminds me of sort of 80s uh, radical theatre about nuclear war. Yeah. Um, but what The Last of Us is about is about people surviving after the world has been wiped out by a massive pandemic. What I love about it is that it's not really interested in the zombies. No. And yet it has invented the world's best zombies. Oh my God, so much so. There's a fungus that infects insects, gets inside an ant, for example, travels through its circulatory system to the ant's brain and then floods it with hallucinogens, thus bending the ant's mind to its will. The best the most idea believable, for zombies. Like... The best, most credible idea for zombies ever. Fungus starts to direct the ant's behaviour, telling it where to go, what to do, like a puppeteer with a marionette. And it gets worse. The fungus needs food to live, so it begins to devour its host from within, replacing the ant's flesh with its own. But it doesn't let its victim die, no. It it keeps its puppet alive by preventing decomposition. How? Where do we get penicillin from? Fungus. (laughs) And it's gone. Do you know what? We're not really interested in that. We want to look at the people. And that is a fantastically bold move. It is. The number of confirmed deaths has passed 200. The governor has called a state of emergency. Hundreds and hundreds of bodies lying in the streets. Panic spread worldwide after a leaked report from the World Health Organization showed that the latest vaccination tests have failed. With the bureaucrats out of power, we can finally take the necessary steps. Los Angeles is now the latest city to be placed under martial law. All residents are required to report to their designated quarantine. Riots have continued for a third consecutive day, and winter rations are at an all-time low. A group calling themselves the Fireflies have claimed responsibility for both attacks. Their public charter calls for the return of all branches of government. Demonstrations broke out following the execution of six more alleged Fireflies. Lost in the darkness, look for the light. Believe in the fireflies. 
I think with The Walking Dead, they tried to ensure that the lead characters were morally sound and everyone else was sort of disintegrating in the face of the, the zombie apocalypse, but these people could hold on to their values and be, still be kind, still be good. The great thing about The Last of Us is that Joel and his other attendant characters have had to compromise and they have yeah. done things that they're not proud of and they are, you know, they're trying really hard to keep hold of their humanity, but you get the sense that there's fallibility and that's what makes him relatable. That's what makes the, you know, the whole situation relatable. What are we doing here? This is not us. What do you know about us? About me? I know that you are smarter than this. Really? Guess what? We're shitty people, Joel. It's been that way for a long time. No, we are survivors. This is our chance. It is over, Tess. Neil Druckmann, who's the story side of the, the creative team that did uh, Last of Us, who's in charge of directing the actors and the plotting and the storyline and the dialogue, he said he wanted complicated characters in a simple story. Yeah. And it is. Oh, if you watch the first episode of the TV series, I know a couple of people went, it's a bit simple, just walk in a straight line towards something. And he went, yep, you watch what happens yeah. when two people walk in a straight line towards something. Yeah. You go, am I going to watch this? Yes, you are, because it's the simplest possible story. But the character complexity, the fact that people are not 100% good, 100% evil, mm-hmm. the fact that people are not 100% nice, but genuinely it's absolute faith in humanity mm. compared to almost every other post-apocalyptic drama I've ever seen where the answer is usually, we'll rip each other apart, we're all awful. The road will sort of say, we're all just monsters. Mm. Or even Mad Max, which says, oh, we'll all fight for yeah. control of technology. And you go, no, but none of that will happen. It will just be the same as life is normally. Good mm. people will do bad things yeah. and bad people will do good things. When faced with something like that, you know, brutality becomes something which is a necessity. And you're aware that in order to survive, sometimes you have to commit atrocity. Because bad people do good things and good people do bad things. And there's a situation you start off with when you're playing or seeing the world through the eyes of Joel. Mm-hmm. It's a very clever thing where he is put in a position at the beginning of this apocalypse where he loses his daughter uh, and you have an enormous sympathy for him and you go, oh, he's, he's had this enormous loss. And then a trick does, the TV series does it and the game both do, which is it just cuts and it goes 20 years later. Yes. And the question is, this is a good dad who was trying to help out and trying to be as good as he could be. A terrible thing happened to him during a terrible thing. And 20 years later, what's happened to that good man? And the answer Mm. is, you missed it, but he's done some awful things that you never see. And now the question is, will that good man come back? Where does he go? And you ask all these questions of this man who you've seen be good Mm. and you now know has done stuff that he won't even talk about Mm. in order to survive. And you think to yourself, is he good? Is he still good? And and actually, that's never really truly answered. He's doing something. His, His mission is to... I don't know how much I'm allowed to say in terms of, you know, spoilers and things like that, but to get this this precious commodity from one place to another. I want Joel to watch over her. Whoa, whoa, I don't oh, think shit, that's I'm the not Ellie. Him? I could just take her to the North Tunnel and wait for me there. Jesus Christ. Just cargo, Joel. And there happens to evolve a kind of tenderness in the relationship due to the fact that he did once have a daughter and Ellie is her age and yeah. uh, and in, in the whole thing is reminiscent of the father-daughter relationship. Um, but he's reluctant to um, give in to that. He's reluctant to, to make that connection. He feels that's trite as well. Not her, you know. What? Maria told me about Sarah. Ellie? And- You are treading on some mighty thin ice here. I'm sorry about your daughter, Joel, but I have lost people too. You have no idea what loss is. Everyone I have cared for has either died or left me. Everyone fucking... 
except for you. So don't tell me that I would be safer with someone else because the truth is I would just be more scared. You're right. You're not my daughter. And I sure as hell ain't your dad. And, yeah. he's, and he's doing it because initially he wants to find his brother. He needs machinery, guns, things like that. You know, he, he needs to further his survival in yeah. this situation. And it only really becomes about the good of humanity. He has to make a really difficult decision that is, you know, a, a huge moral question. Yeah. And I can't, I can't give away too much and you can cut it out if I do. But, <laughs> you know, he... I think that's the most magnificent thing about this yeah. as a story. I think uh, once you've played it through once, you'll know where it's going. And when you watch TV, you'll know where it's going. Because it is about morality. Mm. What's the right thing to do? What's really clever is it guides you and you feel like you're guiding it. You've got the controller in your hand in mm. a way that you don't do watching television mm. or a film or even a play. You've got the controller in your hand. So towards the end, as you find yourself dragged inevitably, because you know not only what this character would do, but what you have been doing because mm. you have controlled him, leads him towards a decision that makes complete sense to you as a player, as a viewer, as a, as as a, a human being, as a human being, as a consumer of this piece of art, mm. that you will, and you cannot deny it because I've tried to, you mm. will, and you will feel responsible for in a way that, I mean, I can empathise with mm. you watching a TV programme or a film, yeah. but I didn't do the bad thing. Mm. And the amazing thing about putting the controller in your hand and the delicate way that the writers of this and the game designers put some control with you and some yeah. control with the story, they achieve something which I don't think video games have ever done before, which is to, at the time this came out, there was a lot of talk about open world gaming, sandbox gaming. The mm. idea, the ultimate thing was to give you a big toy set a big city to go and run around mm. with Grand Theft Auto and you would make whatever decisions you wanted to and the game designers had no moral responsibility to tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. If you want to smash things up and kill people, you can do it. That was the dream and it fulfilled a lot of the whims of angry 20-something boys who are the core market of video games. And when The Last of Us came out, it said, I'm sorry, I'm putting you on rails. I am a storyteller and you're going to watch the story yeah. I want to tell you. But weirdly, at the end of it, you'll feel like you told that story because yes. you had the controller in your hand. And you've lived it, essentially. Yeah. And at the end of it, when a decision has to be made, a really big moral decision, as good as any big decision at the end of a piece of fiction, mm -hmm. you will feel like you made that decision. Yeah. And then managed to guide you towards it. Yeah. It's a really difficult question because you kind of think, has he made the wrong decision? Is it the wrong decision? And you can see good reasons why he should have plumped for either. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can totally align yourself with either decision. So if he were to make yeah. one decision, you'd be like, yeah, I, I get that. And I would have done the same thing. The Last of Us is incredibly clever in that respect. And I th like you say, um, it plays with you. Yeah. And it, it goes even further than that in, in, in The Last of Us Part 2, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It? I mean, that, that's, like, that's that, a whole other They realised they could do that. I thought The Last of Us was like video game designers finding they had a new instrument they could yeah. play. This thing they'd always had, and they went, oh, we could do this with it. Mm. The Last of Us Part 2 is finding it's got three keyboards and a laser harp, and it's, it's like a Rick Waitman <laughs> set of keyboards, on which they can play that same trick on you, where your morality goes and where you want the story to go. What I think is really clever about this is that there was always a fantasy, and you can see it whenever they bring out interactive fiction, mm -hmm. whenever they bring out... I did that in Charlie Brooker's voice, 
because he did um, <laughs> Bandersnatch. Whenever they come up with a thing where you can choose your own adventure, the idea is that the real liberation is going to be, even in the 50s, that come and see this movie and you can decide the ending. And the answer is that will be terrible mm-hmm. because actually I don't want to decide the ending. I want to be told a story. Yeah. And with The Last of Us, the storyteller, Neil Druckmann, had a story to tell and he made me listen to the story. And he gave me the choice, like a choose-your-own-adventure, because I've got the joystick in my hand and it says you can make a decision, and then guided my hand. And I was thoroughly satisfied because I wanted to be told a story. Mm. But at the end of it, I didn't feel like I'd been forced. No. I felt I'd been guided. And because I knew the characters and I knew the story that was being told, of course that's the end there of the There would decision. be no other way for it yeah. to end, yeah. Even though, ostensibly, and I've done, I don't know if you've played it through again and tried to make a different decision, your hand is forced, you can't do it. But you can't do it because because it's this character. Yeah. It ain't for you to decide. It's what she'd want. And you know it. You can still do the right thing here. And it's a very different way of looking at video games than the way that very often video games are done now in that open sandbox way, which is you get to design your character. You can have whatever hat you want on. Mm. You get to design, and you get to decide who they're going to be. And it's a bit more like a role-playing yeah, game. You I roll can't the be dice. doing with them, actually. <laughs> it's a little bit like turning up a Hamlet and they say, well, who would you like Hamlet to be? I know. I'd like to have the Hamlet that Shakespeare <laughs> wants me to. And I love the arrogant seizing of control back for the writer that last us represented, which said, mm. I want to be told a great story do you know what? I'm not as good a storyteller as the people who spent five years thinking about this story. And it was a really nice thing to sort of say, this is a medium that respects the creator, Mm. not just a a medium that respects the player. And I thought that was a huge leap forward into saying that these things are works of art, the same as an opera or a play or a film Mm. or anything is. And actually the people who are making them have got a story to tell you. So do you want to join in? And it's the journey and the quest, isn't it, as well, which is such an incredibly um, important facet of of storytelling. It's been the way that we understand narrative. It's been the way that we have been told stories and accepted them. And I think when you release somebody into an open world and just go, yeah, just do what you like. (laughs) I just feel lost. I just feel like like very much as, you know, I can possibly do in in our world where it's like, I have to make all my own decisions. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, I don't want to be here. (laughs) Can I be on rails a bit? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, 
I'd rather I'd done some work in uh, scripting for video games, and it's always that pull between saying I could tell you a beautiful story with these characters, and then someone from game, the game side will say, "But people want to do whatever the hell they want." Mm-hmm. You want to go? Oh, that's not how storytelling works. No. Um, but The Last of Us is an amazing demonstration of how that bargain can be done. It says, in return for you giving up a tiny bit of control and agency and being on rails a bit, mm-hmm. I'll tell you a story so spectacular because we've all invested loads of time and effort in telling mm-hmm. this story. But I'll make sure the the rails were on are quite simple. It's a simple quest. Yeah. And I will give you not only an, an interesting story but i will give you a full-on sensory experience yes. of, of what it is to live that story i can't choose necessarily every single decision this character can make but i can choose where to look what yes. to look at yeah. i am in a very very sophisticated fairground ride through this world where yeah. i can look left and right and see everything that's not a bad experience i'm making it sound less than it actually is you are have a lot lots of agency in what you do but you're not given a big empty world to do whatever the hell you like no. in you're given a story to immerse yourself in and everything about it is is just again it is top grade yeah it's attention to detail and and it's very I have I'm going to go back to the punch drunk because it's really it's really similar in the respect of you you kind of you walk into an abandoned building and everything has been thought of you know down to the very smallest details you know there is there's a note that somebody left for somebody there's you know there's washing up in the sink and then another place there's not it's really clean or whatever it is it's just like every environment has been has been fully realised well there's a thing called environmental storytelling uh, regarding video games uh, and it's to do with uh, yeah, there are stories within the, the space you're in mm. and you're meant to explore and find it and it's a great fun thing to do and mm. that is very like immersive theatre man this is kind of sad what is? all this music that's just sitting here no one's around to listen to it I don't know it doesn't seem right what I love in The Last of Us because nothing happens for a long time there's not constant action it's not a relentless zombie attack game. No. You're not just shooting people. There's Actually, a... very rarely attacked by zombies. It's the tension that makes it work. But you do have time to look around deserted record stores mm. and broken labs and people's homes. And you read into those homes who lived there. Yeah. And you also feel the sorrow of the fact that something once existed that no longer exists there. Yeah. And it's just the trappings of the normal life that everybody has lost. That doesn't exist anymore, but it's but the but the trappings of it, you know, still exist. They're still there. They're still visible. Those things that marked us out, you know, as as human beings with families, thoughts, feelings and the ability to feel vulnerable enough to live those lives, which is it's completely disappeared. And now it's just survival. But you're yeah. surrounded by the normalcy. Uh, Neil Druckmann said that one of the things that they found out, he looked into what would happen to society if we stopped looking after it, how fragile the threat is. And he said, mm-hmm. how much fighting on a day-to-day basis we have to do to keep nature back. And once you stop doing that, how quickly nature can reclaim that. As they talk about New York and how every day they pump water out of the subway system. That system breaks down within two days, a whole city is flooded. And once water gets introduced, then structures collapse pretty quickly. Trees will sprout and wind will carry those seeds over and gutters get clogged. And then when it rains, water fills up and then pretty soon you have vegetation growing over there. And once you have vegetation, concrete breaks pretty easily for when there's a tree and roots breaking through there. And there's a really powerful moment really early at the game as you wander into the city for the first time and you see in the distance that blurry back cloth that you get in, uh, yeah. in video games where the, the distant horizon is there. And painted on it are two buildings, one of which is leaning against yes. another. Two huge tower blocks one of which you will have to climb up at some point which is really exciting because it's at an angle Mm -hmm. Uh, but the whole building's just tipped over the foundations have gone there's all this 
damage. The undergrowth has grown up. The nature has returned. Uh, our, reclaimed it, yeah. Our ownership of the earth was really fragile. And the, the thing that's claimed us is that we have just dropped down the food chain one. And this is what happens. Yeah, yeah. The fungus, as we all know, which is an incredible organism that we barely understand, has decided it jumps up and has a go at us. Yeah. We're, we're victims of it. And we've dropped down. We're now scurrying around the feet of the dinosaurs. Yeah. Something else is in charge. Um, and what it does to us. And it builds these amazing environments that you can explore with wildlife running around in it and foliage everywhere and the damage and just the ghost of what used to be there. It's an abandoned space. And it takes advantage of something which is just inherent in computer games. What I love about The Last of Us is it uses the weaknesses of computer games brilliantly. If you fill a space with people, the frame rate goes down because the computer's really busy. So the game stutters and doesn't work. Really? So if you take all the people out of a city... It's much, much easier for the computer to work out what's going on because not as much is moving. Right. So weirdly, you can then make the backgrounds really detailed. Okay. In Grand Theft Auto, there's loads of people running around everywhere because it's a city full of people. Mm. So the backgrounds are slightly more simplistic. The Last of Us for a 2013 video game has got the most amazing backgrounds because there's no one there. And it's this astonishing solution to the problem. Mm. It's judo logic. It's using the weight of its opponent. Yeah. You can't have loads of people running around. Maybe you can have two or three. And you go, well, make them zombies. Make them make a noise in the distance. Now I'm involved in the game. Yeah. That girl is so skinny. I thought you had plenty of food in your time. Well, we did. Some just chose not to eat it. Why the hell not? For looks. That's stupid. A ruin happens really quickly. And we're watching. I'm watching a Grand Designs once where they explain what some people were trying to restore a castle and it looked awful. You thought, oh, that must have fallen down in the 16th century. And it had fallen down in the 1970s. Right. And it had become a complete ruin in about 10 years. Apparently, as soon as the roof goes in and water gets in, if mm. water gets in, that's the reason we're always repairing our roofs and getting our gutters to work. Right, right. Repelling water is mainly what humans do. Our cities, <laughs> our cities are just like big Jesus. umbrellas. <laughs> yeah, yes. We have little job to do. It's to stop the water getting in. And as everyone knows, if ever you had a leak in your house, the fear of the water breaking in. And I think this is a beautifully realised dramatised version of what would happen if the water got in. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't fix your roof. Yeah. This is a warning <laughs> to pay your roofer properly and to get your, dra- get your gutters done, otherwise the zombies will come. The storytelling is done through your immersion in the space. Yeah. And that, again, makes it like theatre, mm. I think. You enter a space. And that's that's also what contributes to how incredible the series is on television yeah. because they've more or less completely faithfully recreated yeah. the environment, you know, and the character of the environment. And it's so decisive, you know, the, the fact that plants have wound themselves around everything. The things that are missing have contributed to this sort of, you know, the degradation and, and you know, the entropy of everything anyway. You know you're there. That's that's As soon as you look at that scene, you think, this is Last of Us. This is it's so distinct. So the state house is across there. It's about a ten minute walk if you could go straight. So long way or short way? I mean, it's the long way or the we're fucking dead way. Well, I thought long way is based on that limited information. There's a very, it's just occurred to me. It's a very 18th century romantic thing. It's like Ozymandias. It's the giant feet. Yeah. It's Shelley, and it's that that fetishization of ruins that it was in romantic art. That people would build a grotto in their garden. Yeah, yeah. Will be a collapsed sort of. Parthenon shape mm. with all the, the vines up it. That there's a fancy, the more civilised get, it's a consequence of enlightenment. The reaction against it would be how fragile mm. is this civilization we built? The fascination with the fall of Rome. Mm. And the last of us, there's a real feeling of going, oh, this is America saying, 
we could fall. Yeah. You could find the giant feet in the sand and that would be the same thing that's in Planet of the Apes, that statue in the sand. Yes. That feeling, that melancholy that America, what is this, 2013? So it's, it's processing the fallout from 9-11, the fact that the city could fall. Those two tower blocks leaning against each other, that's an obvious resonance. Sure is. That yeah. something could take us down, mm. that this is fragile, that we are not the masters of yeah. our planet. And that, I think, is why it's a brilliant uh, fusion of, I had this said this theory before, when I was researching the Ladybird book of the zombie apocalypse, mm. I looked up <laughs> on, on the web lots of apocalypse fantasies, and I said there are two fantasies. One is a right-wing fantasy, and the fantasy is we were too soft and we depended on each other too much, and we needed the government. And when the balloon goes up, the zombies attack or there's a plague and you're on your own and you've got to have yeah. all your tins. Yeah. Tins and guns. Mm. That fancy. And I don't trust anybody and anyone who tries to take my tins, your bill. Your bill, exactly, yeah. That fancy. I love the fact they depict that in The Last of Us. Your bill from The Last of Us and I don't want anything. The other fancy is the left-wing fancy, which is that we will die because we're too selfish. Yeah. We consume too much. Yeah. We didn't look after the planet. Yeah. We weren't connected enough. And because we didn't all pull together and decide we'd get rid of fossil fuels together and look after the planet, mm -hmm. the planet killed us. Yes. The Last of Us has both those fantasies in it. It does. It is, a, it is an apocalypse that you can watch as a right winger or a left winger and still see yourself reflected in and get something from. Mm. And I love the fact that within it, it contains survivalism and preppers. Mm -hmm. But it says they're wrong. And it says the other guys are wrong as well. It's yeah. amazing. I'm letting you go. So go. All right, look, first, my name's Frank. Oh, yeah? yeah? Here's the thing, Frank. If I feed you, then every bum you talk to about it is going to show up here looking for a free lunch. And this is not an Arby's. Well, Arby's didn't have free lunch. It was a restaurant. What it says is you still need people. You still yeah. need other people. You know, that that Bill is, uh, is is constructed for himself this incredibly kind of capable world. And, you know, he sets his traps and he, you know, he has enough food and, you know, he, he never runs out of, out of guns or whatever it is. But he's really lonely. You're the last person left alive. What is the exactly. point? Exactly. It's like I am legend, isn't it? Yeah, That's yeah. another really interesting one. Yeah, it's a way of sort of saying to that sort of Charlton Heston fantasy that if you were the last guy alive going around the city destroying the baddies that wouldn't be enough because what are you no. doing for it's a beautiful thing they do in the TV show in episode 3 I think you can watch standalone if you don't want to watch Last of Us yeah. you can watch episode 3 on its Easily, own it's yeah. magnificent beautiful piece of standalone television drama for an hour which god they don't make them anymore no. uh, but in the game that is also in there mm -hmm. that feeling of the guy who's the prepper is dangerous it's not the right solution no Bill? Somebody had the same idea they stole my shit. Well, then what the hell is plan B? You ought to be thankful you're still drawing breath. That was plan A, B, C, all the way to fucking Z. And furthermore, tell Tess that she could take Don't this you job. Don't you bring Tess into this. Right nothing to do with... Jesus. What, you know this guy or something? Frank. Who the hell's Frank? He was my partner. The way the characters work and they interact is really complicated because they've kept the story really simple. Mm. And when the TV show came on, the first of the TV show ran, a couple of people who weren't fans of the game went, it's a bit like a video game, isn't it? Because they keep saying, and again, this is clarity of storytelling, I applaud it. They kept saying, we need to get from A to B. Uh, we need a battery. We need a gun. We need food. And it was just little quests and side quests. Mm -hmm. And it was written like that. 
But that's what's brilliant about it. Well, that's what life is, isn't it? <laughs> a series of side quests. <laughs> a series of side quests. Yeah. Oh, you know, I really want to make a cup of tea, but I've run out of milk. I have to go and get some milk. That's a little side quest right there for you. But, when, that, but that, that simplicity, then I think, means that the characters that go on top of it can be really rich and complicated. Absolutely, because Because you know are. where they're going. And the, the thing about all the storytelling is clarity is everything. So with this, this show, the game and the show... One of its big advantages is people say what they want and they go and get it because we've lost all the niceties. Mm. I'm going to go and find my brother, Tommy. You need to take this girl to the Fireflies. Mm. There are simple quests. So you follow those. And then because of that, you can follow in enormous detail the characters and how they're moving around each other. And how they um, interact and how they become, how they get to know each other, how they become fond of each other. The, the intricacies, the, the journey of knowing somebody. You know. And that's what the central story is. The central story of this is not a zombie thing or apocalypse thing. It's about a man and a young girl getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. That is, And it's about learning to trust. Mm. And it's about watching those two people and them not being, this is what I found really exciting about it and why I think it's transferred to television so spectacularly, them not being the immediate characters you'd expect. No, exactly. Certainly not for a video game. No. The sheer levels of completely unagendered diversity of, yeah. of, of, of the situation. Because in a world where, the, you know, the zombies have eaten practically all of us, you, you don't give a crap whether somebody fancies yeah. girls or fancies yeah, yeah. boys do you know what i mean it's like there's none of that is is relevant anymore yes. and so people are just you know feeling their feelings and being themselves and and there's no judgment you know that because all of that is just peanuts really compared to the you know the incredible threat that you're facing on a daily basis you become humans i mean basically mm. it's just a bunch of humans it's the last of us yeah it's got us in it it's mm. not the last of me and it's not i legend i'm mm. sort of thinking about the the, you know, the pronouns are really important yeah it turns out pronouns are important if you look at the way the last of us engineers your identification with the character the, the person who's who you're controlling with a stick and let's say you're a, a classic bro who this is being marketed to and you mm. play call of duty and just do headshots all the time you start playing Joel's daughter. Mm. You're not allowed to be the big tough guy with a gun yeah. at the beginning. He's in there and you get to take him over in a bit. So don't worry, you will get to be yeah. a big tough guy who hits people. You start out playing a little girl with no weapons. You're yeah. frightened. Yeah. And the slow journey of the game with no spoilers is you will eventually be back in charge of the girl he's rescuing. And Drummond said the big achievement was to try and make boys want to play the girl. Right. And I think they did it brilliantly. I think they did. The very first thing we shot involved her being pulled out of a car and attacked, and Joel was supposed to go save her. It was written that Ellie sort of was just kind of watching on the side, just waiting till he was done. And I was a little frustrated because I was like, well, I if this were real life, I would do something. We did a couple of takes, and at some point she walked up to me and she said, I feel like I'd hit him. So we added in a part, like, you know, right there off the bat, she's not just this damsel in distress. Right there, she wanted to fight back from her very first day of shooting. We didn't have it right initially. She needs to be more capable than initially we thought she would be, and actually that made us go back and rethink combat and rethink a lot of the areas in the game. And now she was going to take a much more active part. (laughs) I think that thing that they've done with the video game and given them confidence into the show is this feeling of saying, don't go for the usual rules, don't cast it the way you would do. No. And I think the confidence they got was from managing to make a massive hit video game where you start off thinking you're going to be the big cop with a gun, the cowboy, and then slowly you slide towards being the 13-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. 
and it's effortless. Yeah. Your identification is total. Mm-hmm. Again, we're talking about theatre, we're talking about writing, characterization, acting, mm-hmm. everyone working together to pull your sympathies backwards and forwards. So it's just people. You don't mind being her because she because you have been sort of stealthed into understanding that power is not obvious. Yeah, and the, the, the way it plays with power is really interesting in that you are massively under-resourced. Mm. One of the things that makes this game great is you've got nothing. Yeah. You're collecting little tiny scraps of rag and you're collecting a bullet at a time. Yeah. The game won't let you be a big Rambo no, hero. you can't mow anything down. Yeah, because the, the, <laughs> the, the, the offer that the game gives you is it will depict a world with no resources and you will feel that in your heart mm. by having no resources. Yes. And a, a really hard thing to do within a game engine, you need to consider whether you want to shoot someone, whether you want to press that trigger. A thing that's impossible to do in video games because they're all about bang, 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 bang. The action that gives you that adrenaline that makes you play the game is the feeling of power. And it robs you of that feeling of power. And weirdly, that feeling of power is then given to the young girl because she's tougher than he is sometimes. He is weaker. He has panic attacks. He has heart attacks. He is vulnerable. His attempts to save her lead to him being injured more than she is. Um, It's a brilliant pairing to make you ask questions about using violence. Yeah, and whether actually resourcefulness is, is a more important yeah. attribute in a, in a situation like that, because it absolutely is. If you have only got like six bullets and there are not 19 zombies, then you're like, mm, okay, how are we, we going to do this? And you need, and <laughs> you're you need, forced to think outside the box. And you need each other. You, yeah. need, you need the last of us. There need to be more of yeah. you. You need to have made friends. You need to have alliances. You mm-hmm. need to be working as a team. You can't do it on your own. The fantasy, the, the Rambo fantasy of you being flown in and uh, dropped in with uh, with the, the bullet belts and the Arnie heroism, which is the heritage of first-person shooter video games. Doom and Quake were meant to feel like Commando. They're meant to feel mm-hmm. like Rambo and Arnie. They stripped it all of that. Even when they turned Saving Private Ryan, which is about the fear of battle and the need for the platoon to hold together, into a video game, by its very nature, you ended up in a first-person shooter. Mm. You ended up storming Omaha Beach on your own. Mm. It was all about the fantasy of, if I had enough bullets, I could take Berlin. Yeah. That's stripped out of in The Last of Us. The heroism is still there. But the American idea that you have loads of resources, mm. why America wins wars, mm. massively over-resourced, yeah. they stripped that out. So it's a very liberal, slightly feminized version of the action hero in this. And certainly a really radical thing to say in a video game where the whole fantasy is that you just run towards everyone. Mm-hmm. Going, it's a different way of playing. There's something you have game. to learn as well when you start playing that game. You know, yeah. if, you've, if you've played in other types of games where you just literally just unleash hell or <laughs> whatever, you know, thing is coming towards you. You can't do that with this. And so you, and, and you start out doing that, going bang, 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 bang. And then you're like, oh, I have no more bullets. <laughs> and there, there are none more available to me. <laughs> what, what am I to do now? And you kind of have to start again. <laughs> I had a brilliant interview with uh, one of the, the gameplay designers. And he said it was about... Uh, Hitchcock storytelling. And he said, the idea was that what you're frightened of isn't what you see, but what you anticipate. Mm. So he said, obviously, in a zombie game, there's the shadows, there's darkness, there's things around the corner. You hear noises far off. He said, also, it was about you anticipating disaster. Mm. He said, so we would under-resource you, so you were running really low on everything. Yes. And he thought, well, in a minute, if there's a hundred zombies around the corner, we're dead. Mm. He said, obviously, it's a game. There aren't a hundred zombies around the corner. We know how much we've given you. Yeah. But we want to get to a point where you thought you were about to die. But you wouldn't <laughs> die because otherwise you'd just reset the game and play again. Yeah, said, yeah, yeah. We want you to get to a point where you thought you were down to your last bullet and you'd done really well. And then you'd unlock a, a cupboard that would be full of more bullets. Mm. He said, you never are going to run out. But you're constantly worried. Always you're feeling out. like you are, yeah. He said, and that is a really human feeling. You're not frightened of what you're dealing with. You're yeah. frightened about what's coming. 
And, and said, having the resources to do it, yeah. That's being an adult. You're not worried about today, you're worried about the future. You're worried yeah. about, are my kids going to be all right? Am I going to be safe? Am I going to have enough money next year? Yeah. It's a really good game at playing on long-term anxiety and planning. And it does play with you in that respect because, you know, like we were talking about the environment, the, the difference in environments between the, the ones that are infested with zombies and the ones that are just like, you know, abandoned, it's viscerally yeah. <laughs> disturbing. Yeah, because it's fungal, you know, and, and the idea of fungus anyway is yeah. just... It's got a brain. <laughs> it's got more in common with mammals than it does with plants. It's kind of, you know, it's it's intelligent and you know, and it's all over the walls. And there are kind of people in it. <laughs> Jeez. What's wrong with his face? That's what years of infection will do to you. So what? Are they blind? Sort of. They see using sound. Like bats? And as soon as you see that, your your hackles rise, you get a little bit of burn in your throat, and you know that somewhere, somewhere in the vicinity, there's going to be something that's going to, you know, yeah. have half a head and kind of and take yours off. It's the anticipation yeah. of it. I, I had a lovely chat when this first came out. I was talking to Charlie Brooker, we were both playing it, and he, and he, he was saying, um, <laughs> he said, have you done anything where you just don't move for a bit? <laughs> I said, yes. Yeah. He said, I sat for an hour, just with the control in my hand, under a desk. <laughs> He said, I've got this game. I've got things to do. I sat for an hour and I was just going, I can't move. Because you could hear something moving yeah, yeah, yeah. To, while something with a head like Zapruda footage wandered around <laughs> outside. And I laughed at him. He went, what? He said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he said, you just wait. And he said, the, the thing was, you knew that there would be a triangle button you could push probably to deal with it. The game would suggest that you could do. But the idea of having to fight the thing the anticipation of You don't fighting. always feel like fighting a zombie, do you? And yeah. if you can put it off, you probably will. <laughs> the game designers said they made their AI. They said they're the AI that, that controls not only the humans who are attacking you, the other people who are fighting resources, but also the zombies. He said, you normally see a non-player character in a video game and it's there for two seconds. Mm. He said, our aim was to have the characters that you're fighting be on screen for a long time, mm. 30 seconds, five minutes, two minutes. So you'd watch them go about their business. Mm. So you get to see what they wanted. And again, that's character writing. Yes. What do they want? So you follow people around going, where's it going? What's it looking for? And that's actually the key to playing the game well, yeah. and actually getting good results on, in the game. You have to watch them. This is what I'm trying to tell my, my son at the moment, <laughs> who's kind of really interested in playing it. Um, you know, he's like, just go and like, fight it. And I'm like, no, no, you need to watch it. You know, it's like searchlights and yeah, zombies yeah. and things like that. You need to watch it and see what they do, see what the pattern is, you know, follow it, think think your way out of it, you know. And, and that's that to me, that's what's fascinating about it. To me, that's what's kind of like really um, pays dividends in your in your, yeah. you know. And what you're doing then is, again, we're talking about writing this being a great uh, thing about really good writing. You're looking for intent. Yeah. And you're reading character. Yeah. You're not just shooting a target. It's not yeah. a duck hunt. And it means you become a people watcher or a zombie watcher. <laughs> uh, and you learn that there are people in this environment who want different things to you. Mm. That you're sharing your resources and the environment with people who want to harm you yeah. or to get the thing you want. But you have to work out where they're going in mm. order to win. Which is a very different way of playing a game than just having strength mm. or having picked up enough bullets. Yeah. More Roberts guys. How do you know they're coming? Two of our guys died trying to take Tess out. I guarantee that she and Joel are on their way here right now to get Robert. Jesus. We shouldn't have taken this job. Not our call. Let's spread out and make sure no one's creeping around in here. You're having to track them. You have to watch where their characters go. The the non-player characters are on screen for not one second. They're on for 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. So you have to follow them. 
and you have to know what they want and what their intentions are yeah. in order to work it out. So it's kind of, it's it's encouraging you to read character and intent. Yeah, completely. Your people watching to the extent that you need to know what everyone wants. Yeah. And it's like everyone in the game is the hero in their own version of the game. Absolutely. Like the, the guy, guy in the window that's picking people off, you know, yeah. there's the sniper. You yeah. Know, he's, he's got a whole backstory whereby he's, yeah. <laughs> he's occupying that building and he's like, this is a moment in his life that's kind of, you know, momentous or whatever. But he has had a past that's led up to this and he's going to go somewhere unless you shoot him. That is a way of writing and reading and also being a human being. To realize that everyone you bump into is mm. the hero of their own story. And this is a medium where traditionally you're given a joystick and told, you're the hero of this story. Yeah. See through this person's eyes. It's a first person shooter. Yeah. You are the subject. You are, it's egotistical. It's selfish. Mm. Uh, the community out there is just meant to serve you. It's a narcissistic nightmare, the first yeah. person shooter. <laughs> it's imagine how Boris Johnson sees the world. <laughs> <laughs> in some parts of the said, you can see his hand and there's a score how, how, how well he's done oh whiff whiff score I imagine it's how a massive narcissist sees that. Donald Trump's world is a first person shooter yes absolutely and yet this is a game where, where you watch people and they move around and they've all got intentions even if they're a zombie they've got intentions and purpose and I think that's why gaming now has become so much more sophisticated because the, the notion of the NPC yeah. uh, which used to just denote somebody who used to kind of mindlessly run around and, and kind of meet a wall and carry on running <laughs> etc etc and have no real intention past present or future is obsolete when it comes to something like The Last of Us because even the zombies that you meet have been people at some point whose lives have been completely eaten up by something else. I mean, it's an exercise in extended empathy to the point where, especially in an American game, the terrorists are nuanced. There there are terrorist characters and they want something. Mm -hmm. There are goals and things. And it reminds me of a thing that happens if you're a writer and you're writing a a script and you write in a part of Woman 2 and you just say, uh, she just says, oh, you'll have to come back later. And then you turn up on set and an actor turns up like you and says, sorry, do I have any more lines than this? And that actor will know that character better than you ever would as a writer because they have sure, to be especially them. if you give them a little bit of something to go to go <laughs> by, <name>. you know. <laughs> and also it will contribute so much more to, to your piece of work than just having some random walk in and say a line that just is a line that needs to be said by somebody, yeah. you know. There's no flesh there. It's yeah, just, yeah. you know, it's just somebody throwing a chair onto the set. <laughs> yes, it's, you turn onto furniture <laughs> to make an actor into a prop. It's yeah. that sort of, yeah. It's, it's the feeling that you get with a really, really good film that everyone in it is the hero of their own film. Mm. And that is how life is. It's a very useful thing to know. It makes writing better. Mm. And I think, again, this is a, a perfect example of, I think Neil Druckmann uh, did acting lessons before coming in and directing this because he never directed anything before. Mm. And he's got that feeling of, at some point, he's going to be on the set with these guys performing and he's going to have to trust them to know these characters. Mm. The whole writing experience, the whole game experience is about everyone involved in this story is heading somewhere, is going somewhere, and they're interrupting each other and interacting with each yeah. other, bouncing off each other like pool balls, mm-hmm. which is what I love about my favourite screenplays. It's what's great about an ensemble sitcom like Cheers. It's what I remember noticing about the Sweet Smell of Success, that even the cigarette girl in the bar who interrupts Tony Curtis is going somewhere. She wants something. Yeah. Um, like with Nell and I, where you have like the policeman that goes, get in the back of Exactly. It's he's just like an life. iconic line, you know, and he's got like a, and you, and you can see how he functions in his everyday life just from the way that he, he delivers that one line. Yeah, every, there, there is a version of Within an Eye where I is the poacher. Yeah. Where basically the I is, again, it's a first person shooter. You are, you are an I, you are a, a witness to these things, but you're not the only person in this world. No. The world is complicated and it's full of actors. Mm. And oddly, I suppose that makes Last of Us a great actors exercise, as in everybody in it 
has got a part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The credit must go to Druckmann, who's given them the framework and then, you know, they get to sort of bring life to it and live it. Um, but that but the whole that whole world, that whole universe that he's created there is, is peppered with personality and with, with intention and with past, present and future. And that's how you encourage that level of empathy. Yeah. So you end up with, again, it's the last of us. Yeah. It's the last of us. It's not a first person shooter. It's the first time that video games grew up and, and, and encouraged you to empathise with an entire community. And widen their vision to, you know, obliterate the notion of the NPC. It's free guy. It's free guy! <laughs> <laughs> with mushrooms. Free guy with mushrooms! Look, Bill, uh, about your buddy back there, uh, that's a tough deal. And I'm, uh, we square. We're square. And get the fuck out of my town. If you want to pick any other storytelling medium, one of the reasons that it's joyous to watch a film or go to the opera or go and see a play or watch TV is, is all the different departments are working together to make one story. Mm. And computer games have got that. When they're this good, yeah. they're incredible. I, I found I was I was haunted by The Last of Us. You know, when when I finished playing it, and I, and I think of it still. You know, I feel I, and it has like a, a an emotional, physical memory attached to it. Really? Um, you know, yeah, in a way that you know, going to like sometimes I lived in New York for a bit, and sometimes I I, I literally. F- feel a moment from New York where I, you know, I was walking down First Avenue or whatever and, and it was absolutely battering me with rain and, and, you know, it was exciting and thrilling and, and I'm literally there in that moment, just like yeah. that, you know. And similarly, when I think sometimes I'm, I think of something that in The Last of Us, it's reminiscent of something that's happening to me, you know, when a zombie's chasing me down the road and something like, oh, I remember that bit. Often <laughs> This takes me right back to when I was <laughs> my old zombie hunting days. <laughs> but no, and it really does haunt me, really I kind of I remember the feeling that I had when I was playing the game. That's never happened with a with a video game before. Is that like watching TV and more like being in a dream? Yes, yes, it does have a really dreamlike quality. Yeah, and I suppose it should be like a nightmare, but oddly, because of the pacing, because they're careful Mm. not to make it this hammering adrenaline rush. And because they've got priorities as well. You know, I don't think they just want to make it about, you know, oh, I'm scared there's zombies or I'm scared there are people. But, you know, this is what it feels like to live in a a decimated world, you know, and, and and to have known extraordinary loss and to be clinging to one other person for reasons that you're not quite aware of you think you've got a mission but actually you're clinging to them because they represent something else for you you know it's it's incredibly emotive it's really really beautifully constructed in that respect is everything all right everything's fine okay well have a good night how is it that you're never scared Who says that I'm not? What are you scared of? Uh, Let's see. Scorpions are pretty creepy. Uh, Being by myself. I'm scared of ending up alone. Because it's so beautifully realized, it's achieving something that I think only video games can do, which is total identification mm. and total empathy and that would be a really easy thing to, to just harness to excitement or thrills mm. or fear jump scares would be really yeah. easy to do 
But they haven't done that. They've decided to tell you a story that's got loss, grief, moral decisions, melancholy. Love, attachment. And they make you go through it, which I think they could probably only do using this medium. Mm, I think so. And being this clever. And interestingly, they have transferred that to the television adaptation. But like you say, I don't think they could have done that without having, you know, the framework, the skeletal underpinning of the of the video game and the experience that you had while you were playing it. Did you feel as I did when I was watching it? I thought, oh, they've done some amazing stuff to this. What a great, I mean, it's some good writing. This is really clever. And then going back to the game and went, oh, it literally is beat for beat. Yeah. It's the same That's story. That's exactly what I've done. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. oh, actually, yes. The really fun thing about playing the game now is it's like a really good adaptation of the TV programme. <laughs> and you get to be in the TV programme. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. story beats are exactly the same because that emotional story was really well worked out. It was there. It was, you know, everything that we're seeing in the series is in the game. Yeah, if anyone enjoys that TV programme, and my God, it's not finished yet, and I can't wait to see it reach that climax. Yeah. It's because... This game has the most amazing story. Fuck you, man. I didn't ask for this. Me neither. Tess, what the hell are we doing here? What if it's true? I can't... <sighs> what if, Joel? I mean, we've come this far. Let's just finish it. It's a magnificent achievement to take something which is in the medium that is currently the most admired. People say, don't work in film, work in TV. TV is the best it's ever been. This mm. is the highest storytelling standards that you can possibly have. Television is everything. And we're spending more money than you do on a defence budget on keeping television be brilliant. <laughs> and then for it to turn out to be aspiring to the status of the most derided art form of all yeah. time, the video game, mm. to turn out they'd already done it yeah. in video games. Yeah. I wonder how replicable that is. I wonder if people are going to now go, oh, that's so they've, that, this is the standard we have to <laughs> aspire to in video gaming, or whether or not it is quite standalone in, in terms of its incredible structure and, and kind of, you know, dimension. You raise the bar in art form, but maybe there are some people who are just really good at it. Mm. And maybe this is just, this is a good standalone in the way that, the way that the films of Hitchcock are just really good thrillers. Yeah, thrillers yeah. don't have to be good, but the Hitchcock ones are really good. This is one of those where you go, actually, within this medium, these people are the absolute best at it. And they've been the absolute best at it before. I think Uncharted was a great game. Mm. They're really good games people, but this is a bar that has been raised and probably only they've yeah. hit again, really. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic piece of work. Amazing. Thanks for bringing The Last of Us. Yay! <laughs> Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe. Subscribe.